Hey, imagine, imagine if it was Alan Rickman and instead of Costner, you had James Hetfield and Metallica as the, you know, the guys. The Merry yeah. Men. Oh. The Merry Men. And Rage Against they, the Machine with the Sheriff's Men. Yeah, and, and, they, and they did this song, What Nothing Else Matters, instead of What I Do For You or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, well, that would have been a movie. Sold. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Love it. Is anyone still listening out there? <laughs> no, I, I switched off the bell. I'm Music! Movie! Madness! All right. Hello. Good evening. Uh, Hi, Martin. Hello, guys. Right. Welcome hello, hello. to Movies, Music and Madness. Episode five. Wow, we made it to five. That's that's <laughs> truly amazing, honestly. And we we have more than we have more than just our mum and dads listening as well. We've got some listeners. We do. I know. Good. I know. Very cool. A cult of personality, right? There we go. Someone else. Someone else is mum and dad. Someone yeah, else is mum and dad dads. for a change. Yeah. We're just swapping between us. Um, yeah, well, good evening, guys, and welcome, and uh, thank you, everyone who's uh, listening in. Um, so tonight, we, we're going to be talking about the year 1991, and um, yeah, what a year, eh? Um, for both, actually, for music and for movies, it's quite a big year. Yeah, it was also a big year for, for, for um, probably most of us. How old would we have been, fellas? Like 15? Yeah. 15, 16, coming mm-hmm. of age. I don't remember. I, found, I, particularly, found, this... <laughs> I don't I found remember this, being a particularly this... happy year. Oh, really? No, man. Oh. Oh, the year of tattoo, Are those new tattoos, man? The little fantails. I've always had, well, I'm probably about five oh. years old. I'm all tattooed up. I found this year the hardest year so far to pick without any doubt. Yeah, it was definitely um, spoiled for choice. Man. Quite a huge for, one. For, for me, 1991, 92, 93, kind of a bit of a blur. They all sort of blend into each other in some yeah, ways. Right. Yeah, well, some of the th- yeah, I thought some of the things we only discovered in the years later um, and the movies later as well. It's not like, you know where we were growing up in Carpety, it's not like we had a picture cinema or anything like that. So we kind of watched movies on Sky a couple of years later. I mean, yeah. I, um, 91. Yeah, go on, Dave. I, I do have fond memories of headbanging to, um, uh, to Nirvana at the Teenage Rage down at Paparam's Tiroto Drive. Do you remember that, fellas? Teenage yeah, I don't know what it was called, but but I do remember that Nirvana played continuously almost at those things, and uh, I think I don't know how you feel, but maybe we didn't quite know how well we had it back then. Um, Ninety one, a seminal year. That um, post, Martin, or someone, Glenn mm-hmm. Chadwick, was it put up on Facebook yeah. where I think it's an eight week period in the middle of the year, and the albums that came out in that two months was phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. right? You had the Chili Peppers. It, I think it ended with Nirvana's Nevermind, hmm. um, but you just had this massive sort of concentration of, te- of of just good rock music being released in the middle of that year. Oh, it was yeah, definitely it was, the year of grunge. 
it was a, yeah it was the year that sort of mainstream alternative music sort of came to the fore and really did wipe out um all the glam hair bands mm. that maybe our brothers listened to if you had older brothers and stuff like that um i don't remember being up with it at all in fact i was still heavily into listening to a lot of the classic rock stuff freddie mercury died that year yeah and i just went through this mega queen bender so god anything else i remember that i remember i remember listening yeah. to queen at your house yeah. i yeah. got into i've gone into queen a few years earlier i got into them uh when the miracle album came out so it must have been about oh, 89 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I can remember being so hyped at that point because I thought, man, they're going to tour on this one because they didn't tour off the last album. So, you know, mm. they're going to tour on this one. And I, mm -hmm. I'd been saving up and I put money aside for a concert ticket. I was oh. ready for it. Um, oh. and it never came. We know how came. this is going to end. Yeah. Yeah, not well. Um, yeah, so I don't... That's why I say 92, 93, a lot of those albums that you've just mentioned before sort of became more apparent in those later years so yeah it's all the, much the movie thing the movie thing for me was uh the 90s was wasn't was quite easy to remember all that because at that age we were still kind of doing family movies on a friday or saturday with yeah, a bowl of yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. and sort of sit down and watch a movie and yeah so the movies was a lot easier definitely than the albums yeah the albums i don't think i was too musically you know switched on yeah it was just i remember yeah. hanging out with some mates and they had um i think the led zeppelin remasters album you know the one with the big ship on yes. the sort of yes. the, the field of gold the corn the, circle yeah the corn yeah. circle so i remember that being quite big so i was really into that eh? cameron um, joyce cameron joyce was into that it's college Jeez, yeah, yeah 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 i was hanging out with a mate called shane he had an older brother and older brothers had those things Absolutely. And your older yes. brother was definitely into you know a whole bunch of stuff in like wasp and anthrax oh and, yeah all so, that stuff. which i didn't quite no it wasn't really me. what was right on the flip side of that and um, mm. and your mate glenn uh brought it up in the in the on the facebook page was uh -huh. the number of sort of pop albums that actually came out that year as well that were like really great pop albums that, you know, things like the Primal Scream one and St. Etienne's album. And um, th there was quite a few. It, was, it wasn't just like a rock year, although mm. obviously the rock thing was mm. huge. There was actually mm -hmm. a lot of like really, really cool. Yeah, there uh, was. Indie, indie pop and um, alternative was pop busy... stuff as well, yeah. Yeah, that whole Manchester busy... scene was kicking off, eh? Like, you Absolutely. know, Primal Scream and Screamadelica, which is an amazingly cool record. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Glenn would have been the only one up with it because I think he had a subscription to um, Melody Maker or something <laughs> like that. We, and they brought them to school and I was like, what? He's listening. I know. He had all of these things and I was probably too dopey to us. I was probably too dopey to understand what he had until later. And then I was like, oh, man, he was up way ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe. So, Martin, tell us about it, man. Yeah, so let's kick off tonight then with the, let's go with the, with the music first, I think. I think that's a good idea. Let's, uh, uh, so, David, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah. I've been waiting for this for the whole week, fellas. <laughs> Thank you very much for letting me lead out. Right, so my album, um, 
I'm just gonna so, so I chose something that um, I could have waited to 92 because this album in its proper I guess its proper sense uh, came out in 92 so I've chosen the self-titled Rage Against the Machine um, demo release uh, in December 91 so this predates um, their self-titled Debut that album. Is so nerdy that you found the demo. I know, I know, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, appl- I, app- I applaud you for <laughs> your nerdiness. Totally, like I've geeked out over this. If you can geek out over um, a protest band like Rage, um, I, I've done, I've managed to do so. But you know, they put out five thousand cassette tapes. Um, how cute is this? With their home address, with with their home address on the back. Um, <laughs> You know, could you imagine that Parakai Street paper? You know, it's sort of, it's so cute. And and they they obviously did this to pr- to promote themselves. And they and I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds fantastic. Um, go and check it out. It's all over uh, Spotify, YouTube, etc. So the the, the track uh, the album's got twelve songs. They made five thousand copies of this. Um, they sold them for five bucks each. They actually had a price off of five bucks per tape. They're worth oh. mega bucks now, right? If you go and jump on eBay and try and find these things, mm. they're worth they're worth squillions, um, and wow. rightly so. So, what you're hearing here is you're hearing a very um, clean, less grit, less dirt than what was released um, in '92. Um, you've got a lot of the tracks that were on the album, of course. So, bomb track, take the power back, freedom, killing in the name. You know, they're all they're all there. Um, uh, no. But yeah, they are. It, it is cleaned up. It is. Um, it is very. Um, I suppose you could say garage bandish compared to what was released the following year. And um, but there are some neat little, um, I guess, uh, gems in there, which uh, you know show you what they were thinking before the record company sort of got hold of it. Um, I mean, they signed with Epic uh, not long after they put the, the, these demos out, and. Um, what happened the to the sound? Why did the, the rest is, they change the sound, or did they produce the producer change the sound, or what? Happened? I think. Well, yeah, I mean, you're probably closer to this. It got bigger, so it got big and bold and um, and darker and more grittier. And I think so they could just afford better guitar pedals. <laughs> no, I think proper studio would have made a difference. So they're yeah. not a grunge band, right? But the but definitely you can you can hear what's happened. So in 90, 90 this is December 91, they put out these demos. And in fact, if you jump on YouTube, there's a neat clip that had that was shot only two months, two months before this. So October, we're talking October, December 91. Um, there's a good clip on YouTube that show them um, and what they were like. And and of course they're just uh, four guys is it I think four guys jamming on a stage that um, as soon as the record company gets hold of them they grunge it up a bit right you can definitely tell they put more grit more right. dirt more overdrive into the guitars um, the drums still clean uh, you know the, the the lead vocals are a bit but darker I think you said yeah darker I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit here for our listeners shortly but um, the track I've gone with though is Killing in the Name, so it's their it's their, probably their biggest hit if you can call it that. And now you do what they told ya. 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 Don't you die, I'm just a fight, 
told ya. Now you do what they told ya. Now you do what they told ya. Now you do what they told ya. You die. Now you do what they told ya. This one brings back memories and <laughs> doesn't work. And, and <laughs> I remember a story. Yeah, look, I'll keep this. I'll keep this short. But you know, um, 1992 or three, I found right. myself somehow in the in the um, college or the school, high school radio station booth. Um, uh, I don't know if I was actually DJing at this you time. Were. You I were. Was, you were. Was I right? And you, <laughs> okay. And you, were, and you wanted to put this on the playlist, and you did. Yeah. Well, it's yep, a great song. I was song, there at that time. And and I had it all sorted because we you all did. know that this is one of those. This is a song that you got to be a bit careful with. The second half of the song, you know, it sort of um, it, it drops the f bomb uh, sixteen times, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, you know, it goes. Uh, you know, it's it's the for those that don't know the song, go and listen to it. It's the if if you I won't do what you tell me. He does it sixteen <laughs> odd times, right? And every time he he dropped the f bomb. We had it. We had it sorted. I remember Sean Wimpery was there because he was absolutely. I was there as well. You were there. And I we was there. Fade down the old David, uh, David, DJ David, mix. David, <laughs> David was terrified, and he worked it all out when it was coming. He worked it all out, and he would. He did a fabulous job. Wow. Except for one moment. Yeah. Well, you know, we got. We thought we got to the end in one piece, and we were pretty proud. You know, I was like. Just played "Killing in the Name of" on the school radio station, and you know how cool is that? And then, of course, as I'm kind of patting myself on the back or wherever it was, I can't remember. The old mother f bomb gets dropped, <laughs> <laughs> and it goes then, boom. And, and then we all cracked our laughing, except David, who went kind of a shade of white. Um, <laughs> and no one cared. Well, there was no so so. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you I got, I got an, I had a, a visit from um, one of the teachers. Um, oh, did you? He, he he accused me of racial creating racial division in the school. Uh, I hope after you punched him. Would have been. Yeah, I, I won't name him because he, he, he's still there. Um, still lives with his mum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but um, I I got in, well, I didn't get into trouble because the the. the this story does have a, a happy ending. Mrs. Haskell, <laughs> Mrs. Haskell, yeah, that, that's not something you want to pull out of this podcast on the wrong day. <laughs> Mrs. Haskell, who um, was our uh, sponsor for the radio station. Um, I went and saw her, actually. I, I said, look, uh, you know, I think I might have got into a bit of trouble playing this. She didn't care. She no. didn't. And I said, oh, so, so-and-so's already spoken to me. And she said, don't worry about him. He's just an old fogey. And I thought, you're older than him. So, <laughs> he's just an old fogey who lives with another. You know what I love about that song? What What's I love that? about that song is it came, it was such a fantastic song for voicing what they felt, which I okay. love. Oh, right? Yeah. And and no, and they, they meant what they said. And I love oh, that. Oh, yeah, they were and, angry. Um, they were, they were angry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that came full circle around. And didn't it knock the uh, pop idol? Christmas song off the channel. Thank heavens for Rage Against the Machine. That might have been a bit contrived, Ian. I, if, <laughs> if, yeah, 
that that was yeah, that was probably. done on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll in itself, it anyway. a protest. In itself, a protest mm. against the um, the, uh, the the Christmas number one, which is yeah. another topic on our Facebook page. Incidentally, the whole how 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 um how the Brits, sorry, Martin, <laughs> have a way of choosing the wrong song at Christmas time. Oh, um, they loved it. They it's, loved it. It's not just Christmas the Christmas thing. song. Novelty records in the UK are like a sick phenomenon, and I don't know why. <laughs> They should have been stamped out way, way back in the 70s. But if you look at the track record, it's like a human rights violation, I'm sure, because we're talking, you know, Orville the Duck and uh, going on to things like Mr. Blobby and Bob the Builder. And that's just the kids' ones. And then there was the adult ones that were actually supposed to be taken reasonably seriously that were just the worst songs. But it's a thing. It's a sense of humor thing, I think. <laughs> I'd What's love to again? see I'd love to see Rage Against the Machine doing a gig and coming out and opening the gig with Walk Don't Run by the Ventures. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I do I, I do I do have a um, Rage Against the Machine story. Me and my wife got trapped at the front of uh, Rage Against the Machine gig, even though we didn't kind of want to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Because, to be fair... um, You were thrown 30 feet from (laughs) (laughs) it. We we went to Big Day Out, and and we went and saw Bjork. She was on um, before, um, and and by the way, we're setting up the next stage. And Bjork was awesome. She was truly unique, bizarre, off-the-wall, brilliant just fabulous but the big headliner of the night was um rage against the machine and we went oh do we both want to see rage against the machine neither of us really did because sort of you know i don't know just didn't really feel that vibe at the time um and we couldn't get out of the big d area and nor could the rage against machine fans get in somehow the security had messed up so we had all this room at the front and we ended up watching rage against the machine from about 10, 15 meters away, and it was wow. pretty good. Wow. But I also awesome. remember also feeling slightly bored too. I mean, this was at a time where they could have rallied against Bush and all these things, mm. and all they did was play basically that album. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah. where's the new stuff? These guys should be mad as hell. I was wanting to hear something new. I'd just seen Bjork and had my mind blown from new stuff because she doesn't, mm. she's a true artist. Yeah. And these guys just didn't have anything new to say. And it was, it really disappointed me. Yeah. Um, and I was what stuck there. What year was that? I think it was 2009, eight, eight oh, or nine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and Bromman and I are stuck there, and all these Rage Against the Machine people <laughs> were behind us, desperately dodging security. So we watched security tackle all these like, people <laughs> who are way hard out on it. And it was just hilarious. Anyway. Hey. There's um I'll, I'll leave I'll leave you guys and our audience with this. So if you go to that YouTube clip, um, it's not quite it's it's not quite the um the concert you've just described, Glenn. Um, there's probably three people in the audience. Okay. Wow. Um, it's it's called Rage Against the Machine first public performance full concert, three point three million views. Right. So this is October ninety one. I'm, I'm going to leave the audience with this. So if you watch the clip and it's the whole concert, um, the guys are up on stage. There's like three people in the crowd. Um, the crowd grows to a, a whopping 15, I think. Um, there were two guys in the crowd, baseball cap man and red shirt man, right? 
Um, have a look at them because you'll know exactly what I mean. Skip to about halfway through the clip. Baseball cap man, red shirt cap, red shirt man. Tell us who you think is the biggest fan and probably the first fan ever of Rage Against the Machine. You'll know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's it's hilarious. And and if you don't scroll, scroll the comments because they they're just as good. <laughs> Cracking album though, great awesome. album. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. I've got to say, like, more so than the message, it's the sheer force of, of the music. It's the power of, of that band, right? That, that comes across. And it carried on, because even when they did things like the Audio Slave albums and stuff like that, those albums just slammed. They're just so powerful. The, the wall of sound that comes out of them. Um, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> that might go to they here. This is for the listeners. They might go to uh, workout on a punch bag, uh, Rage mm. Against the Machine, Pantera, uh, mm. Cowboys from Hell, just I'm all sure. that sort of good. Sure. You are not alone. I'm a, there's, <laughs> there's just the raw emotion in, especially yeah. in, the, in the in the in the in the vocals, right? Um, and you can definitely hear the influence on, on where Eminem sort of got. You know, who's to come years later, and the passion and the the emotion that comes through in, in the rap. Um, I think yeah. he's. I think he's quite a respected guitarist. That I don't know his name, but oh, I Morello. think his style Morello. is pretty yeah, yeah. unique, and he's quite respected. He's a bit of a clever guy, I think. Yeah. Oh, I think so. And I, I went and saw Audio Slave um, as well, and um, the amount of effects that guy has is epic. Mm. And I'm thinking, is he actually playing stuff? <laughs> because he, they, he just pushed a whole lot of buttons, and he just looked like he was just wow wiring away, and just all this really interesting noise came out I'm like what, what's going on here is he yeah but again it doesn't sometimes matter sometimes mm. guitars are awesome like that eh mm. well the edge is, is another prime example of that right uh, i know i know but you, it, it made you watch him do a solo and he's gone off stage and he's been off for five minutes but the solo <laughs> is still going you know it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. brilliant brilliant okay um let's let's move on then um do you know what? I'm going to go next. I'm going to go next. So from the from the aggression and rage of Rage Against the Machine, I'm going to take us to a slightly more sedate place. So don't you say Kylie? Not Kylie. No. <laughs> I said, thank God for that. No. Um, so I've gone with um, uh, an album that for me is is kind of like a comfy sweater or a a, a nice pair of slippers because you put it on and you just feel good and safe and in a calm and chilled out place. So I've gone with Mark Cohn and his self-titled album, which is Mark Cohn. Um, and um, nice. most people know this guy for, for his one kind of stand-up hit song, which was Walking in Memphis, which was oh, then yes, later, later yeah. murdered and butchered mm -hmm. by Cher. But his original version, um, yeah, it stands up still. It's a, it's a great song. And that album is um, is a really, really cool uh, kind of, it feels like it's 20 years too late as an album. It feels like it should have come out mid-70s and it should be in that same kind of league as, you know, mm. those early Elton albums or some of the Billy Joel albums. Um, yes. Very much piano uh, kind of led album. Um, 
what I will say is it's a very autobiographical album as well. Like all of the, his songwriting, he, he'd been trying to kind of like write hits since like mid eighties um, and nothing was happening for him. And, and, and that song walking in Memphis, uh, if, if you listen to the lyrics or you go through the lyrics for it, it actually talks about that story. And what he did was he basically decided, well, you know what, I'm just going to go on a road trip, get out of here um, and try and get some inspiration to write. Um, and he literally wrote that while he was traveling around. Um, and it started off, he went to, um, he got told to go to a church service in, um, I think it's in Memphis. Uh, and it was Al Green, as in the soul singer who became a reverend. Wow. No and way. Did, and did a sermon. Yeah, the Reverend Al Green. True. And, um, yeah. A fabulous it, soul singer. Yeah. To put it in context, Mark Cohn's Jewish. <laughs> but he went to this, uh, <laughs> this like gospel, you know, sermon. And it was a three hour long sermon. Um, and he said, <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to cry in church because I wanted to leave. And he said, when I went to this, he said, I cried because I never wanted it to end. That <laughs> it was like a life changing moment for him. Um, like Al Green was giving a sermon. Yeah. Reverend Green was there to Reverend see Green. them is, is the lyric. Yeah. And um, yeah. So Al Green was actually preaching. Um, how cold would that be? Yeah. And then went on to, to Graceland um, and visited Elvis's too. Um, and then went on to um, a little diner place called, called the Hollywood, where there was a woman uh, playing piano and singing sort of uh, gospel mm. kind of songs that no one was really paying attention to, but he did and really enjoyed the, the, the show that she put on. And then at the end of it, um, got chatting to her and ended up going up on stage with her. Um, and, and sang a couple of songs. Now, he didn't know the words, so she was feeding him the lines to the songs while he was up on stage. But they ended up getting a big round of applause, and um, they they had a really, really good talk. And um, once he'd recorded the album and, and, like, finally went back and saw her, she uh, she had the wise words of saying, you know, the album's pretty cool, she said, but the best track's the one where you talk about me. <laughs> but yeah um my particular favorite track on it is actually the third track on the album it's called silver thunderbird um mm. and it's a story about his relationship with his dad and his dad's car the man and his machine would go oh the secrets that old car would know sometimes i hear him singing don't you give me no Saying, 
Don't you give me no beauty Son, you must take my word If there's a God up in heaven He's got a silver thunderbird And um, it's just a great The imagery that he conjures up in the lyrics He's, he's a really good lyric writer, I've got to say um, it just You just feel it, you get the feels from it um, and the whole album's kind of like that, really. You know, it's a very kind of slightly nostalgic for everyone, but very, very personal for him in in the way that he's written it. Um, and um, yeah, I, I can't um, I can't remember the first time I heard the album, but it, it's it's an album I go back to every now and again. And, I, and as I say, I just put it on, and it takes me to a good place, like a really, really good place. Um, you know, there's, uh, one of the, the things I should mention about Mark Cohn and part of the reason why he kind of never probably, never became as mainstream as he probably could have was, um, yeah, I think it was 95. Yeah, 7th of August, 1995. He, he played a gig um, and been out with his band, um, got back to the car in the car park and um, there was a carjacking. Someone tried to, to basically steal his car and uh, pulled a gun and shot him oh. in the head. Oh, shit. Oh, hell. Um, and the, the bullet basically barely missed his eye and lodged oh, in his Jesus. skull. Um, he was taken to hospital for observation um, and uh, amazingly was released eight hours later. Um, oh, and the doctor said he was the, unluck the luckiest <laughs> unlucky guy that they had ever met, basically. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the police, uh, the police spokesman summarised that the car's windshield may have kind of somehow deflected the majority of the force from the bullet. Um, but uh, yeah, amazingly, you know, he survived that and and made a full recovery and and is is now still playing and still touring and um, you know dining off of that that song really. But um, he's still got uh, um, a really good body of work. Yeah, he's well worth checking out. Oh, no, um, I when I think of his it. stuff, it it, uh, it it makes me think of stuff like um, you remember Hot House Flowers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah. That yeah. gonna be a bright, sunshiny day. Mm. That remake, mm. that that mm. uh, John Cougar. Mm. It kind of takes me back to that. It's sort got of stuff. that. Yeah, it's an Americana thing, uh, and it's, it's it's an absolute particular vibe and there was a lot like that you know i keep thinking mm -hmm. of like don henley's albums from like the late 80s mm -hmm. and early 90s his solo albums mm -hmm. and bruce hornsby and you know mm -hmm. th there was a whole raft of them and they had that sound mm -hmm. and this album is definitely part of that yeah i've mm -hmm. got that album it's a good album it's a nice album it's a nice album how so many artists have done that gone to elvis's grave and paul simon did that with grace sands didn't he yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah you know, but it, but it's really cool that you know he's um, you know he's he's pretty open about the fact that like he really struggled to kind of find a hit song and he's never had one really since. You know, he's, mm. he's still going and he's still touring and stuff. But yeah, um, you know, he's he's pretty kind of realistic about all of that. Um, but um, yeah, to to kind of be able to kind of like recognize that in yourself and then you know say actually I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to go out and try and get some inspiration from somewhere. I think that's a, a brilliant kind of um, it's a, it's a lesson for any kind of musician or songwriter, really, I think. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's move on anyway. So, um, yeah, Ian, do you want to go next? 
Yes, I'd love to. Kia ora, everybody, and our listeners, especially. Thanks for listening in, man. Uh, I have chosen something a little bit different for this year because I just, oh, my God, like you guys said, there was so much stuff, man. I was thinking um, Metallica. I was thinking SRV, Stevie Ray. I was thinking Chris Rea, Auberge. I was thinking Enya, Shepard Moon's great album. Tune NWA. There's some good stuff came out, man. But I went for, um, I decided to go for a slightly uh, educational choice. So I want to, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm curious to know what this is. Sorry, I've been <laughs> well, dealing with I'm going to educate you. <laughs> all right. Yeah. In Thanks. fact, I'm going to educate all our listeners. So, I mean, you know, what I'm going to tell you will probably make your nuts shrivel up to about the size of raisins. I mean, but it's basically, it's basically. It doesn't sound it, very comfortable. It's not. I want to go back to the comfy slipper. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it sounds painful, and that's and I've because got COVID. that doesn't sound good at all. Well, this is because the album I've chosen is a jazz album, and for, oh, ja- for, what's for wrong a lot with of that? people, a lot of people, uh, jazz is uncomfortable, scary. It's a genre that you know they don't really delve too much into, but oh, okay. I mean, the scary part is this, right? Here, here we go. I'm gonna, I've done a bit of Google Edge. You ready? Yep. So, what is it? What is it? What is it? Listen to this jazz. We so when most people think of jazz, they think of this trad jazz, acid jazz, jazz fusion, smooth jazz, ragtime jazz, Latin jazz, avant garde jazz, gypsy jazz, big band jazz, cool jazz, shit jazz, chamber jazz. Boss and over jazz. There's so many jazz genres. Under jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a dad joke. That is such a dad joke. Well done, David. Thank you, Mr. Chen. And so I went for, I chose uh, Harry Connick Jr. And he was huge at this time, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. He was very cool. He was the bootlay of the time. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a time where you've got all those, like you guys said, these monster albums coming out. And uh, then you've got this this uh, jazz dude banging stuff out as well. Um, the reason I like the album I chose was called Blue Light, Red Light. And it's not my favourite uh, Harry Connick album, but for that year was a really, what I thought was a really good album. Uh, I was getting involved in amateur theatrical stuff. Hello, Dolly, Guys and Dolls, this kind of stuff. I was trying to build my confidence, get on stage, learn to sing, trying to mingle with people. You guys will remember those days, right? And um, that's an avenue I went down as a learning to be a performer, wanting to perform. And so those kind of big rock bands didn't really help me to achieve what I was trying to the road I was trying to go on and Harry Connick did so the first thing about the album that helped me uh, was the melodies throughout the album are really nice so it's a really melodic album and his vocals are just solo vocals smooth eh so smooth when when you have a solo melodic vocal what I found was it 
uh, I started to learn how to harmonize at that time. And you can harmonize with his songs as they go through because there's not much else going on. So it was, it was really good for learning how to do a bit of uh, harmonies, you know. Uh, the album he wrote when he was 25, bastard. Wow. And he uses a 14-piece big band. Uh, he wrote most of the music, most of the lyrics. Um, there's a, this. what have I got? I mean, the album, I don't know if you guys have actually listened to the album, but there's a, there's a, is he at what the you saying, Dave? Power? Is he at the, is it, so 1991, Harry Connick Jr., he's 25, so he's young. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, I mean, a bit like the Beatles, right? At 25, they'd played thousands of gigs. Mm. Where was he in terms of his career? Was, he, was this the peak? Was he, was he peaking? Was he on the way up? Was he on the way down? This, I think Harry Connick had two peaks. He had the, the his jazz, his jazz, trad jazz peak. Was, I think it was 1990. That, yeah. Well, it would have been, uh, yeah, wasn't it from... Um, we are in love when when album. harry met sally harry right met sally. yeah, yeah. That's he right. did the soundtrack was where that it, it kind of and he was on that he was on memphis bell yeah he that's right he oh, the guy's bell. the guy's a legend um he had a second peak was when he when he tried to get back into the pop scene with an album called she do you remember that one i do indeed and, uh, he went very much a southern sort of new orleans sort of sound that's, that's my favorite uh, which, was, which, which is where he grew up mm-hmm. so it was it was, it was more authentic to where he grew up yeah that particular if, one if, yeah i mean if you want an amazing album go and buy she uh joe slam and the spaceship the song is just absolutely probably the best funk song i've ever heard that's great and um but this yeah i mean um blue light red light I just love it. It's got uh, New Orleans kind of style jazz. It's got a bit of ragtime jazz in there. It's got a bit of, he touches a little bit on the trad, the traditional jazz. Um, there's a little bit of burlesque kind of jazz in there, you know, big sort of big bandy stuff. You could imagine uh, somebody walking out with a, you know, big feathery hats and cabaret stuff coming out. I think it's worth mentioning that as well as his vocal, he's a phenomenal piano player as well. Um, I remember watching, um, there's, a, there's a YouTube clip and it it's, it kind of sums him up and how, how like, switched on musically he is. And uh, he was doing a gig and there's the crowd clapping along. And like most crowds, they're offbeat. So he's like playing and, and they should be clapping on two and four and they're clapping on like three and one, you know. So he decides basically... He kind of looks at the band and the band kind of look at him and he's like, oh, this is throwing me off. So he just sneakily throws in the bar of like five, four to get to yeah. switch it. So then suddenly yeah. they are clapping on two and four. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Genius. Genius. Brilliant. Harry Connick Jr. is a genius. He is a musical, uh, I'd say prodigy, probably. He was started very young and he's incredible. His album, 20... I think it's called. God, it's just so good, man. Um, his band are amazing. He's got um, a guy called Shannon Powell on drums, who's incredible. Uh, Benny Wolf on bass guitar, who's an amazing. But these are young, funky jazz players, right? And that's what I love about the album. So, yeah, I think if you've got, you know, this again, I did this for an education for the listeners, really. 
if you're not into jazz and you yeah. think, ah, oh, shit, Frank Sinatra, blah, 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 uh, the White Cliffs of Dover or whatever, go and buy some Harry Connick Jr. Well, you've educated um, me. I'm keen. Yeah. So I'm going to go and check him out, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, check that album out for the jazzy stuff. She is the album for me. I, that's, I just think that's a groundbreaking. Yeah. I, I remember album. buying that in 94. It was, um, it was really cool and, and different. I remember a lot of those yeah. fans that, that loved the sort of the big band stuff were quite freaked out oh, by yeah. it because it was, it was a complete departure. Yeah. I mean, he, for me, Harry Connick, if I can do a few name drops, he he just he sits he sits. I love traditional jazz. I mean, jazz is, is a great genre, but it can there can be a huge amount of, of crap in it. But you've got to if you can just get a couple of real good names like uh, so Harry Connick Jr. Uh, for me, Madeline Peru is amazing. Uh, Jamie Cullum, amazing. Uh, you know, they're quite more the modern players. But amazing, yeah. You know, get into jazz, enjoy a bit of jazz as well as the rock stuff. It, it's good, good for your soul. Ooh, when you kiss me, I've got to know just how much you miss me. Kiss me, and you're gonna put all the stars back in the sky. Kiss me, and maybe then you'll know the reason why I want you. And my love's gonna haunt you, and I'm gonna flaunt you in front of all the boys that live on my street. And they're gonna be jealous cause you're so sweet Do you think I should repeat? Do you think I should repeat? Repeat Repeat I'm in love Um, okay, Glenn, what have you got for us this week? Uh, I've chosen an album I'm not overly a great fan of, um, and but it's, it's <laughs> mostly for its story stories than anything else. I've chosen the Metallica. You sound like me, Thurston. I was a bit inspired by you actually on this one. Um, I've chosen Metallica, Metallica, um, also known as the Black Album. Um, I put it on this week. My wife has a copy of it and we listen to it and you know the singles off it are sublime they are really really good you know david's going to play a little bit of into sam and i think later on this mm-hmm. um what a killer pop song actually you know yeah yeah um and martin Probably. sent me a cool link about how that was made um,
the guitarist, I think Hammett's his name, picked up the riff for it. And and I was really surprised because he'd been listening to, guess what, Soundgarden. And Soundgarden's one of my all-time favourite bands. Right. Interesting. So they were already starting to get inspired by what was happening up north in um, Seattle. Um, yeah. And I think the writing, even they knew the writing was on the wall for what they'd done. They'd taken the prog metal stuff as far as they could with and justice for all and you know that big song one and all its stuff um i can't really talk about pretentiousness because i'm I'm, and i listen to a lot of pretentious shit um but (laughs) but um but you know and they they made a new album with a new producer they didn't get along he pushed them out of their comfort zone and they made metallica black um album but for me i mean it was a big album at school it really was this yeah. big album because we had a lot of kids who were into it. And I remember yes. it being out that, that particular year. And I remember how upset they were. And Ian, Martin, uh, you'll be able to help me out with this. I'm not sure if David will know. But they were really upset because it wasn't heavy. Oh, it was a it, sellout. It, it was an absolute was, sellout. It, Everyone it was up all, in arms. It wasn't heavy. No. And mm. I'm like, and I'm going to ask a question because I didn't understand what it meant then. What does heavy mean? What is this heaviness? What is well, this mysterious heaviness? I and think, they were so yeah, upset about you it. Under, yet, you can understand it. You can you can actually understand it. You can understand what they're saying. Mm. So it's not heavy. Yeah. I don't know that's, what that's heavy good, is. Yeah. So if you have that all that but with, um, with, with Metallica, you could always hear their lyrics. There was never any issues with that. There's, and, there's nothing you know, else matters. Were, nothing else matters yes, is on this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That wouldn't help. That wouldn't have helped. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying, if any, but if but if anything, if looking at it and doing a little bit of research, the album slowed it down, and they had heavy, whatever this heavy word means, heavier slowed down riffs, and mm. it does that second half just chugs mm. along, and who knows? Apart from well, nothing else matters, the rest of it could have all been one bloody long song for all that I know, but. This, they slowed it down and had these big heavy riffs, kind of like Black Sabbath. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds heavy, but mm, it wasn't yeah. heavy enough. Or it maybe wasn't, well, it wasn't thrash. That's what it was. It didn't have oh. that speed metal thing going on, which is what they kind of have been the instigators oh, of before. I, I, but yeah, yeah I, I, you know what? I saw them on that tour. I went and saw them at, at Wembley. And it was my first metal gig. And I can assure you, they were heavy. <laughs> it was heavy. I, I, yeah. Hearing I mean, still I think, hasn't recovered. So yeah. I, 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 I think I, as a, I think as a, a but as a budding guitarist, uh, I want to be. I think the, uh, I, I reckon once you start getting into the realms of heavy, you really got to drop D, you tune your guitar. You know, yes, you got to. Yep. Then you and that's, get, and that's what Soundgarden were doing. Um, and yeah. it was just interesting to see that flip into this. And, and arguably, it was the last sort of Metallica album of any influence. Because mm, after true. that, um, I remember when Load came out, there were so many disappointed people. Basically, oh, no one. Absolutely. Nobody's been sure. happy with, and yet they tour well and they do sell billions of tickets and all the rest. Of it, so good on them. But um, yeah. And this heaviness, I just remember this, these guys at school just being distraught over the fact that it wasn't heavy. 
Well, and um, well, and then they were going, oh, we're going to listen to Sepultra now because they're way heavier. That's right. And I'm like, I, I just, I couldn't relate at all. Mm. And what what part- makes me laugh about the whole, at that time and the outrage about it. And then when you go and watch like a video of them performing now, and they're doing like ABBA and AHA covers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> How far apart from like that original band are you now? Oh, and and I remember they um they sued um Napster. Napster, that's right. And and yet that all those well. <laughs> all those early Metallica albums, like Kill 'Em All, and all those things are about this sort of out outlaw image. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we're suing Napster because yeah. you're like you're stealing your money and stuff like that. Even though like loaded with money, mm-hmm. the sort of outlaws were suing. Like, yeah, <laughs> and it oh, just sat like. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got the so, I've got the song list. I've got the album song list in front of me right now, and I love the Black Album. But I think the two non-heaviest songs on it are probably Into Sandman, and nothing else matters. Like Sad but True, wicked song, man. Holy than now, one, what yeah. a great tune. Yeah. Wherever I May the, Roam. First oh, half of the man. album is very good. There was a big like Ennio Morricone influence on it as well, wasn't there? I think because it was. Didn't they kind of oh, do that with like Unforgiven and stuff, right? And then they yeah, did the, the second sequel yeah. and then the trequel. Right. Uh, and, and just like David, I remember at one of those rage things, I think it was at when they mm. had it at the, um, yeah, before the, yes, I did go to those before, before they, the, the, the skating rink thing. Before the skating rink, yes. And they played, you know, Enter Sam. And Enter Sam mm. is a really freaking yeah. good song. Yeah. Um, so I know, listeners, we've got a, um, for your, for your listening pleasure, mm-hmm. we together a playlist um i'm choosing two songs from the um the black album for that however um i'm not going to be playing they're not metallica singing them um it'll be one st vincent doing a cover of sad but true um and also um phoebe bridges um uh doing nothing else matters so last year was its 40th birthday the, the black album yeah and metallica did a good thing they said opened it up to a whole lot of indie bands and artists cool. and said just um do what you want with it and just I'm have just a gonna of, clarify uh, that and i think it was the 30th anniversary because don't like make yeah, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we might look this. like it was a 40th but no <laughs> all right so i'm choosing those because the covers are really interesting um and it's and are different and it just shows the craft of the actual songs themselves yeah um, away from the heaviness of um, i've got a i've got a feeling that i heard um was it sir elton john yes nothing else matters is one of the best songs ever written Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful song yeah it's It's an amazing song Mm. it's an amazing album go and buy it yeah there's only so many James Hetfield's yeah yeah that you can handle oh, in, in a, in a no, day. There isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, there isn't. Yeah, yeah. There isn't. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and all of these bands like Nickelback that cover that stuff. Anyone have a Nickelback record here? And everyone yells out, "No." Yeah, I mean they've got a lot to answer for, eh? Um, but it's yeah. you know, first first half. I'll give the album a solid three. Um, yeah. Right. Memory from the, the gig, one thing I do remember was before the show, they showed like a 45 minute or an hour long documentary about them on, on like oh, being God. on the road. 
Oh, and I was like, please get through this so we can actually ask you. But then they came <laughs> on stage and they did a three-hour set. And they did manage to set Wembley Stadium, Wembley Arena on fire as well with the pyrotechnics. So I do remember the safety curtain at the back and a roadie like going up with a fire extinguisher trying to put this thing out of a rope ladder in the background. That's Which pretty heavy. Probably more interesting yeah. than what was actually going on at the front of the stage at that point. But yeah, you're right, Ian. That is heavy. Yeah, um, that's proper so, metal. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe yeah, proper metal. That's right. So maybe our listeners can write in and tell us about what heavy means to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, also, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rest of this rest of this podcast, yeah, I think we've got to every time anyone says "yeah," you've got to make it a double "yeah," and you've got to make it sound like Hetfield. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. it's on. Yeah, yeah. Fire out, man! Yeah, oh, I love dude. that. No, there's not enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my choice. Um, yeah, there are there are other albums I love from 91 but really you know um, I didn't listen to them at the time and mm. this one did have some memories I remember definitely head banging like David did at the old teenage rage and it was fun and that was good fun yeah brilliant brilliant yeah yeah those, yeah, yeah all yeah. right let's move on yeah. <laughs> yeah all right we're gonna move on into the, the movie side of things now guys uh, that was hard Ooh. it was hard it was a tough no, one. Just finding a movie. Oh, piece of cake, fellas. <laughs> oh, oh, David. Oh, David, David could, David the, could the take up. The sound of confidence there coming through in yes. David's voice. There's a, there's a tone <laughs> of conviction coming through there. I, I could probably yeah. only do two minutes on my film, um, and David could take up the rest of the podcast. <laughs> That's cool. That'd How important this film was to him. Right. So, David, come on in. Uh, uh, reveal to us oh, what your uh, no. your was. Okay, brace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I chose, I chose, I chose a film that at the time I loved, I loved, and I watched and watched and watched and watched. I must have gone to the cinema three or four times, got the DVD and all that sort of stuff, or the the, VC, the videotapes and all that, hired it out. But it's a film that hasn't really aged well, <laughs> and I'm not surprised. So I chose Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, 1991, <laughs> um, and I've got a bit of a. Uh, Conflicted relationship with this film now because I watched oh. it the other day and Ian, oh you're my horrible. God, it was it was horrific. So, <laughs> um, where do I start? Okay, so what I decided to do, guys, because because um, uh, I, I have struggled with this in the last few days, I thought, how do I review a movie that I used to love? Now I think shit. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You've got to go back to the love of why you love no, no, it. No, no, no. I figured out it? a way. I figured out a way. I loved it and I, I still love it because of Alan Rickman. I've always thought Alan Rickman's performance as the Sheriff of Nottingham just carried that film and made it something very special. Um, and for those younger listeners or those listeners that don't know who he is, um, uh, go and watch Die know, Hard. Go and get your dad's copy of Harry Die Potter. Hard. He's, he's yes. in Harry Potter, right? He is yeah, Professor right. Snape. And, That's and, right. And, and um, Harry Potter, and so I've rewritten the plot <laughs> because because I didn't I didn't like what I watched the other day. So here we go. Here's a bit of a synopsis. I've okay. renamed I renamed it. It's not Prince of Thieves. It's now called because it's dull. You twit. It'll hurt more. That is just a great line. So I'm calling it that. I'm going to cut um, his heart out with a spoon. Oh, you've got it. You've got it. So it's directed by Kevin Reynolds. It's a 1991 action adventure based on 
the English folk tale of the Sheriff of Nottingham and his sweetheart, Maid Marian. <laughs> um, it stars, Alan, <laughs> stars Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman stars as George, the Sheriff. Um, it's got Morgan Freeman. It's got Christian Slate. It's got Mary Elizabeth Mishmantonia. Co-stars Kevin Costner somewhere in there. Anyway, <laughs> the plot. All right, so this is... An, an, uh, this took some time, so I hope, I hope you will appreciate it. This, this is what's going to make this film great. So the plot is... It's uh, the eleventh, uh, the middle of the eleventh century, and George, that's Rickman, um, he's the sheriff of Nottingham, and he lives with his he lives with his mum and his cousin at the castle in England. Um, they've amassed quite considerable wealth over the years, <laughs> but George longs George longs for the one true thing that escapes him. It's love, true love. Um, true love. Years of ridicule and torment from his mum and his mean cousin um, have left George twisted and evil. Uh, until one day he meets uh, Marion. That's Mary Elizabeth Mishpantonio. Um, and that changes all that. But unbeknown to George, the son of a rich nobleman named Robin Hood, that's Costner, turns up unannounced, <laughs> tormenting him and others with his weak acting, petty lines, and generally just plain old sterile shit, uninteresting <laughs> portrayal, portrayal of um, Robin Hood. Uh, George tries his best to rescue the situation, um, that's Rickman, with his droll energy and wit. Uh, I will personally remove your lying tongue. Um, and the, uh, this one's great, right? Everyone knows this one that's watched it. Um, cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more oh. merciful beheadings and call off Christmas. Dang, that's, that's evil. Just, man. just brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. Look, um, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, so I've rewritten the plot. The movie's a million times better as a result. But what really, really got up my <laughs> whack when I when I read up about this was that did you know that? Um, okay, yeah, Costner. Okay, I cut him some slack because he was doing uh, what was he doing? He was doing this one. He was doing dances with, dances with wolves and JFK. So he had three gigs on the go, all at the same time, right? So he didn't have a lot of time for the, for any of them. Yeah, and it certainly shows on this one. But what really got on my wick is that Alan Rickman's performance, which is just legendary in this, um, it was so good that Costner says to Reynolds, I'm not happy because Alan's stealing the show. I want you to cut his cut. He's got too much screen time. I want you to cut it back because he's basically overshadowing me. Mm. And and they did. And, and that's why Bruce, there is uh... a... There was a release in 2009, I think, sometime around there, which has the full theatrical release with everything that was shot. And it's and it's pretty good. And it's because they, they cut Rickman back because he was... And so at the, the, um, the BAFTA... He was too good. At the BAFTAs in that year, Rickman receives um, Best uh, Supporting Actor, right, at the BAFTAs. And I can't remember what he says, but it's on YouTube. He gets up and he accepts the... Uh, the award and he makes a sly sort of remark towards um the director reynolds which basically implies um you know i was so much better than him but you still you know you still cut me cut me back sort of thing um mm. but he did in a very clever way as only alan rickman could have um mm. uh, rest in peace uh, alan's no longer why did us. you why did you like the movie in the first place you got me baffled now oh i think <laughs> I love so okay, Robin Hood. Robin, when I was a young fella, about nine or ten, I I, um, I got given. Do you remember those choose your own adventure books? Like yes, 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 yes. I got I got given the the um, Outlaws of Sherwood Sherwood Forest. Um, 
uh, Choose Your Own Adventure when I was 10, I think. And I read that thing, you know, and there's like 35 different women's stories sort of thing. I read every single possibility. I love, love the tale of Robin Hood. And when this came out, it was, um, I think it was the first Robin Hood since I, yeah, it was the first Robin Hood since I'd um, I sort of read that book and got into it. And so I, I was drawn to it, but, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really know what shit acting was or, uh, you know, rubbish screenplay was, but I did know Alan Rickman just drew me in. It was like, this guy, he's not only just mean and evil, he's clever and he's funny and he takes the piss out of himself. And he's actually taking the piss out of the whole Robin Hood thing as well. Um, if, if you if you look at his lines um, and, and Rickman, a lot of it is, um, you know, ad lib um, on the spot, he, you know, and he wrote, rewrote a lot of the um, other lines because he just thought it was shit. Um, uh, a bit like Harrison Harrison Ford for Star for this you know for the for the Star Wars trilogy, uh, phenomenal phenomenal man there Alan Rickman. So he really carries it, and to this day he still carries it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 why I chose it. And 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 it's everything I do I do for you, man. Well, uh, so I'm gonna uh, that song in the UK. <laughs> yeah. So it was no. a number one in the UK for quarter of a year. 15 or 16 weeks or something horrendous. I, is, I fell in right? love. I fell in love oh, to that yeah. song with a girl. Remember? Remember <laughs> Cheryl Robertson? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, think I, I think I'll invite yeah. you to this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, I, love you, I love you, Cheryl, um, still. But say hi to your husband. Okay, okay, so there was that song. <laughs> But I do want to give a quick shout out to the actual movie score, which is a brilliant, brilliant soundtrack. And it's by Michael Kamen. And mm. it's probably like the last great swashbuckling, like adventure score. And um, it's just sublime to listen to. It actually got, it puts the hairs up on your arms when you listen to it. It's, a, it's a, such a cool mm. theme. And it got used yeah. by one of the movie studios as well. It got picked up, I think it was Morgan Creek at the time or something, ended up using it as like their theme. And if you watch the trailers for movies in like 91, 92, that soundtrack got used as the backing music from like so many trailers because it was that yeah. good a score. So check out and the he, score. And he did the arrangement for um, Nothing Else Matters. On the, yeah, that's the, right. Yeah. So yeah. it all ties up. Wow. He's a legend, that guy. And again, rest in peace. Rest he in was, peace. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's amazing. Okay. Uh, it's just me, isn't it? Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so my movie, I've gone with um, LA Story, Steve Martin. Uh, it was a movie that, that he wrote um, yeah. as well as starred in. Um, oh. And it's basically, he's a, a weatherman and he's trying to find love in Los Angeles. And it's really, it works on two levels. It's, it's a rom-com, for sure. But it's also a really sharp, satirical take on Los Angeles and just how fake a place it is, mm. you know. Um, there's a brilliant scene in it where he's, um, he's driving his, um, his, his love interest around. Um, and she's English. And um, she's just arrived in, in L.A., and he goes, oh, well, I'm going to take you on a cultural tour, tour of L.A. And she goes, well, that's like the first 15 minutes. So what happens after that? But as he's driving around, he's sort of going, you know, some of these houses are nearly 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> the culture. Yeah. Oh, the history. Absolutely. <laughs> the history. Um, from from England. 
There's Love just it. so many sharp one-liners in it. Um, Steve Martin, um, I think, is is just is a comedy genius mm. and uh, probably doesn't get the credit for his writing as much as he should do. Um, this was the second film I think he wrote or, or scripted. I think he did um, Roxanne, which was the scenario diversion oh, yeah. remake. Yep. We had the the nose. Yep. Um, oh yes. But um, yeah, this this just it's it's a great movie. It's got a lot of heart to it as well. Um, you know, you mentioned Enya earlier on, and, and there's a scene in the movie which is kind of like a surreal montage kind of scene where they used an Enya track as the background for it, and it actually gets you, it gives you chills. It's it's so well done. Um, are you a bit of you're a bit of a romantic, Martin, aren't you? Ah, uh, well, come on, man. That depends who you speak to. You got a lot of hair standing up in your arms tonight, man. Oh, uh, you know what? It was a time, yeah. All right, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm a soft. Um, yeah, it was. It was a. I thought it was a great time for movies and a great time for music. And you know, when you're that mm. age as well, when you're 15, 16, you know, and you're starting to kind of become more aware of the lovey stuff and not kind of hey, going man. out the room when somebody gets has a snog. You know, it, it starts becoming a bit more. Um, yeah. A bit more relevant to you, I think. You know that stuff. At we, that age. we touched on it last. We touched on this last week, didn't we? With Bruce Lee's final days. Mm. We touched. Touched what? That I think everybody. Am I right in saying this? Everybody has got an Enya song. <laughs> Actually, oh. a Robin, Robin yeah, everybody, man, you everybody has got an Enya song. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Orinoco Flow. That was the big hit, yeah. wasn't it? They had Jack, Jack tormented. My brother and well, that's, I. Okay, that's the worst like that. in your song. But <laughs> like everyone's got an in your song, but that not apart from Orinoco flow. Jesus. She did, she did the theme for that Robin Hood. There's a link back to Robin Hood. That yeah. Robin Hood this TV is, series. That uh, was Clannard. Clannard, eh? Oh, sorry. Yeah, she Robin, was in Clannard at the time. Oh, she was, was in Clannard, Yeah, yeah. She was. Remember yeah. Robin the Hooded Man? Yes. And that mystical guy with the antlers and shit. That's right. That's yeah. how to do Robin Hood. That's really, they got weird as they was weird as that was weird as if man. That was weird. They got real weird. Yeah. The only yeah. way that could have been better is if you put Alan Rickman in it, and then it would have been like oh, the yeah. girl, like, yeah. That's a bit of Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, imagine, imagine if it was Alan Rickman. And instead of Costner, you had James Hetfield and Metallica as the, you know, the guys. The Merry yeah. Men. Oh. The Merry and, Men. Ra- and Rage and Against they, the Machine with the Sheriff's Men. Yeah. And, and they and they did this song, What Nothing Else Matters, instead of What I Do For You or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, oh now that would have been a movie. Sold. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Love it. Is anyone still listening out there? <laughs> no, I, I switched off about that. I'm not. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely listening, David. All right, uh, let's go. Uh, uh, Ian, what was your movie? Okay. I, I'm, my one's real short because I was really hammering the, the uh, Harry Connor case. So I, uh, I chose uh, Billy Crystal um, oh, City please. Slickers. Yeah. and that kind of ties in with the Harry Connick theme as well when Harry met Sally which is Billy yeah. Crystal I like Billy Crystal he's some people that I know think he's a bit whiny and curly haired 
But I kind of like the guy because he's, you know, I like his curls and I like his wine. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I like Billy Crystal. Curly uh, hair. Oh, my yeah. God. What is it with people with curly hair? I've never heard anyone, like, be upset. Oh, I don't like him. He's got curly hair. I mean, what? That's they so probably weird. didn't. They, they did, probably didn't say yeah. that, mate. I was just saying it. But oh, I don't know. That's the, um, so funny. Sorry. It's it's a Western comedy. Um, oh, it's got Jack Palance in it. Awesome actor. Mm. The old dude who plays Curly. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, there's there's loads of really good actors in it. It's uh, its budget was twenty six million dollar unis, and its box office was one hundred and eighty million. Wow. Nice. Mm. Kitching. Um, what's it about? It's about a bunch of city guys trying to find their direction. They go on a cowboy trail. They meet Curly, uh, who's a, an old sort of sort of Western spirit dude who kicks them into touch, really. Um, that sort of stuff. They herd a few cows. Um, they go home. Everyone's happy. Apart from Curly, who dies, obviously. Um, and that's pretty much that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> um, why I why I it's chose it. Play, it's good that you're good at guitar, mate. That's like it's... <laughs> yeah. My my movie reviews are a bit a bit average. Eh? Um, oh, yeah. oh, fine, so, that's fine. I love how you just like, to the point. Happy. everyone to the point. everyone the happy, and then he died. I'm like, oh, yeah, well. he wasn't. So, the reason I chose it was because it's uh, it's a bit of uh, it's my feel good kind of movie. It's mm. a bit like your Mark Cohen sort of thing. It, you know, I watch Billy Crystal and I feel good. He's banging on. It's Sunday, Sunday afternoon, raining. Um, he's funny, you know. I only um, know him. I only know him from um, the Princess Bride. Yeah, he's in that. He, yeah, him yeah. and his Miracle wife. Max. Miracle Max, yeah, Miracle yeah. Max. And, and I mean, he is brilliant at that part, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was He's brilliant. a great actor. Yeah, I he, mean, was little, he was he was the little green monster in Monster Zank too. Yeah, yeah. oh, I thought that was quite cool too. Yeah, anyway, yeah, you're right. He's good. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a cheesy movie. I I thought it probably should have been more of an '80s movie than a '90s movie. It's pretty cheesy, but uh, if you want something light-hearted. Wow, you know, you don't have to think about. You can pretty much scroll on your phone the whole time you're watching it. Then uh, that's the movie for you. You know, um, <laughs> City Slickers. <laughs> you know? That's a good way of describing it. If you want a movie that you can scroll in your phone the whole time and you won't feel like you missed much. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's my right, movie. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, All right, Glenn. Glenn, you've got thirty seconds. What was your? <laughs> All right, I've chosen uh, Last Boy Scout. The last fantastic Boy Scout. movie, great um, movie. It it is yeah. um, last Boy Scout. It's got Bruce Willis, Damon Wayland, Wayland, and um, basically the movie could have been you know, you know a rewrite of most other movies like Lethal Weapon and stuff like that. It's ridiculously violent, and but it's got a whole bunch of killer one liners, and it is just funny. Uh, I heard mm. that I read that, that the production of the movie was not easy because effectively you had all those alpha males it was an alpha male film um and they all were trying <laughs> to you know what's that big swinging yeah you know what i mean and um as a result no one really got along making it but it was you know that type of thing and it's yeah. just full of one-liners you know there's 
the character anti-hero again um mm. i do love a good anti-hero um and you know he finds out his wife's been sleeping around she goes but i was lonely and he, he just goes get a dog um you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and basically it's just ridiculous mm. lots of one-liners all the way but it's again that whole sort of buddy cop type thing and yeah, yeah. one-liners thing. And it was, and Lots of zingers, eh? Yeah, yeah. It was written by Shane Black, who did the likes of Predator and Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. So, you know, the guy had pedigree. Um, mm. Brilliant, oh, okay. brilliant writer. I did not know that. I yeah. did not know that. Um, um, so they were all, all kind of, all of those action buddy movies at that time were all pretty much written by the guy. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. No wonder, yeah. no wonder <laughs> it may have felt like you've seen that movie before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however... Lots of freaking zingers. It, for me, it was all those little one-liners. Yeah, it's a very funny movie. Yeah. Funny, yeah. pithy, and really quite good entertainment. It's something that you can park your brain for a while, um, which is sometimes needed. Yeah, absolutely. Should we get a Should we uh, get a group yeah yeah on it? Yeah 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 yeah. 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 Oh, that wasn't a comment. Yeah, it gets. Was... It definitely gets two year years from me, eh? Because <laughs> the double year. Yeah. Because again, it's just that just dumb, big dumb funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a good movie. There were just, other good films as well. I mean, well, uh, I could have picked like Silence of the Lambs, but I've only watched that once. And I think it was at my 15th or 16th birthday party. And it terrified the hell out of everyone. I remember, yeah. Ian, you were terrified watching it and you went and made a cup of tea with my mum um, because you were like, <laughs> this, you were like, I'm out of you were like, I'm out, I'm out of here. This is just too freaky. You were, you were freaked out. And, and I was like, yeah, but have I ever watched that movie again? No. It's really yeah. scary. You need to be um, in the mood for a movie like that. Usually quite depressed. It was, it was quite good. I don't, I don't remember film. making a cup of tea with your mum, man. That, I remember that. Up. Because, yeah. I'm it, hard it, as. And, I'm hard, bro. It was, it, was the year, it was the year of Terminator 2 as well. And it yeah. Was, yeah, I can't remember. I was going to choose that, but again, I never went to it that year. I just remember everyone at Fifth Form English talking about it, and that was a terrible class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Everything, oh, it's just a horrible year. Um, yeah, anyway. So they moaned about the fact that, although I think they liked T2, but that um, Metallic was. Too not heavy enough, no, and, and, and Guns and Roses were a bit wussy. Um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with these kids? Well, yeah, you know, Guns and Roses released the, those those two albums that year, right? Yeah, the Illusion yeah. yeah, thing, which totally um, should have been a single album and the rest all B sides, but it, you know, that album was I don't huge. think I've ever listened to those, never listened to those it, two albums. No, there's, a couple, there's some good songs on there. Um, some some very average songs and some very mm. very poor songs as well, um, <laughs> to be honest. But um, no. hilarious. But yeah, you know they were the biggest band on the planet at that time by far. You know, yeah, they were. Um, and mm. I can remember like everybody at school wearing the plaid shirt, but not actually wearing a plaid shirt. It was always tied around the waist like a skirt, like Axel. Everybody had that going on. I seem to remember. You mean like what Thurston's wearing now? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did someone describe? Flannels come back. Flannels come back. Look, I'll be honest. I do like a good flannel shirt. Um, flannels, you know, especially in autumn. 
where it's sometimes a bit warm during the day and you don't need that level of, you know. I think it's because of all the, all the hot pants that yeah, Axel yeah. used to wear, you know. He needed something oh, else to cover his legs. Yeah. <laughs> Are you got um, a Rolling Stone t-shirt under there? Yeah, I do, yeah. Nice. Mm. Um, that's that's and, metal. <laughs> that's, no, that's definitely not heavy. heavy. That's wussy. They're not heavy, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I remember that distinctly later in that year, someone had scrolled on English, English, oh God, it was English class, I think. And Nirvana was now written on the wall, on the blackboard. And I was like, what's this Nirvana thing? And basically That's all right. overnight, it was like this whole mm. wave of music had changed. Yeah. All those glam hair battle metal bands were sort of gone. And um, oh man, all I remember about English at college was Mrs. Herbertson's boobs. That's it. <laughs> I oh, didn't, yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't, yeah. I, yeah, I totally I put that out of my mind. You I bastard. <laughs> I didn't learn anything. That was she's, just, I, 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 I must admit, she's here tonight, guys. Thanks for sharing those with us, boys. I had, I had, I had a guy called um, a teacher called Mister Mister Lay, and he had no ability to rein in this class of basically awful kids. Really, I had him too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, were you in the same class? It was, it was no, just... he had two two classes. I was in the other one, but the, we were equally as bad. Oh, the poor guy. Man. I actually feel really sorry for him because well, he, yeah, he, yeah. I remember he played Romeo and Juliet. The, the what was it, Martin or no Zabritsky movie or whatever it is? Some Italian guy did it, and then Juliet came out without a top on, and all the guys just lost the shit over it. It's <laughs> 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 resultant. It was no learning. It was like, whoa, is all Shakespeare got boobs in it, Mr. Lake? And he's like trying to get control of these kids. And they I'm, just, I'm amazed you had the energy after the English teacher. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a, uh, no, just it, it just wasn't a good time. Yeah, because <laughs> no, we were trying to learn, weren't we? Those oh, oh, they were, they were was, ruining it for us. Were you what was the yeah. uh, what was the what was the one musical? Just quickly, what was the one musical thing that sticks in your mind that gave you comfort at that time when you were about fourteen, fifteen? For me, it was oh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Just yeah, Stevie totally. Ray Vaughan was my yep. comfort. Yeah, we, we listened guys? to a lot of that. Oh, for me, it was always the Pink Floyd, eh? What year was, um, I was going to say, what year was like Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic? Was that 91? Because Under yeah. the Bridge, yeah, yeah. every yeah. Friday night, we'd go out with, with my mates and, and it would always end up in a sing-song of Under the Bridge at someone's house, like basically. Yeah. It always yeah. happened, every week. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of an, an endearing memory or an enduring memory. I also remember going to lots of friends' parties, and at that time, me and, and my friend Roger were the two guys who looked like over 18 who could actually go to an off-license or uh, actually buy beer. And as a result, everybody used to give us their cash. Like, we go to these parties, there'd be like 40 kids there, 15, 16-year-old kids, and they would just hand us all of their cash. And we'd go out and buy, like, you know, the cheapest beer we could find, which was like, you know... 10 Miami wine like coolers. 40 cans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'd buy a bottle of Jack Daniels b- between us and, oh, and oh, just pocket the yeah. rest. So we used to go home with like 200 quid each. <laughs> it was the best of times. Loved yeah. it. Oh, I still looked like I was 10. So um, there was no way I could have done anything <laughs> like that. 
Dave, what was your musical comfort? Mate, I can't. I don't think I had one. That was probably part of the problem. I, no, I was massively into um, Good Time Oldies. So there was this radio show called uh, Saturday Night Saturday Night Jukebox on um, at the time, and I used to just sit there by the stereo and just record like buggery because I loved all those old songs. Um, that was my go-to thing. Yeah, yeah. it's good right. to have a go-to. So um, yeah, shall we, we spend the week? Yeah, let's spend the the Wheel of Destiny. Okay, now can someone put the can to. someone put the old sharing on for me? I've oh, got one minute twenty one. Okay, so allow, this is uh, allow the sharing. I think Martin has to do that now because Martin's the. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep, uh, you have to allow sharing or screen sharing. Or spin the bottle, oh, man. Spin the bottle. Spin the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no yeah. luck here. I'll just spin it. I'll wait up. Martin's sharing. Oh yeah, this is listeners. This is all us appalling technical work here. All right, all right. Martin is as screen. You've got my screen. Yep. I think. I but I don't think. Yeah. Can you can you exit that, Martin? And I'll quickly put it up. We're running out of time. We're running out of time. I'll spin the wheel. Go for it. All right. I'm just gonna spin it anyway. Yeah, just 1956 spin it. to 21. Let's go. Oh, can you hear that? This is your year, isn't it, Dan? This is your you're hosting yeah. next, aren't you? Yeah, and the year is da, 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 da. 1970. Ooh. Good year. Hello. 1970. Yep. All right. So summer of love's over. Mm. Yep. Nice. There we go. 1970 is. Let's roll. Excellent. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone.